Hi, Leon. Uh, welcome to the to the Servofi show. You work as a designer and writer for the company called Balsamic. And one of the reasons why we invited you to this podcast is that the Balsamic is a distributed company. All the employees work remotely. And maybe you can tell us a bit more like uh, what you do there and uh, what does the company. Sure. Um, so Balsamic, um, we make a tool uh, formerly called Balsamic Mockups. Uh, we're renaming it to Balsamic Wireframes. Uh, it's a user interface design tool for creating uh, what are called wireframes, which are basically just sketches uh, in kind of a, a low fidelity uh, way of a user interface or, or a, a, you know, a website or an app. Um, it allows people to kind of uh, software designers to kind of get their ideas down um, to kind of visualize what they want to build and communicate that to other people. Um, so a lot of the people who use it are product managers who don't need to create pixel perfect um, assets uh, just to kind of get their, yeah, like I said, get their idea down and be able to share it with the people that they, that they work with. Um, it's also used by designers and say a, a, a freelance or a solo developer who wants to uh, visualize what they're going to build before they, they build it. Um, our company is uh, 10 years old uh, now. Um, it was started by uh, an Italian who worked for Adobe for several years in California and then moved back to Italy to um, uh, found the company. And, and he wrote all the code uh, himself in the beginning, um, but uh, it became more popular. So he hired a few extra people um, and um, he has always tried to keep the company as small as possible. But uh, at this point, we've grown to 30 people over 10 years, um, which for a startup is is very small. It's it's nothing. But um, uh, when I joined five years ago, we were only 10 people. Um, so it feels like a big company to us. Um, yeah, we all, uh, uh, we have employees uh, in Europe. About half of the team is in Italy. We do have a small office there, but most of the people don't go in uh, and they're not expected to. Um, everybody else in the company works remotely. There's about uh, 10 or 12 of us in the U.S. now. Uh, we all work remotely. Um, and uh, we're also trying to keep our company flat so we don't have any managers, uh, which is becoming a bit of a challenge at 30 people, but it's something that we, that we also value and want to try to keep doing. Do you see a big difference between the time when you started to work for Balsamic? You mentioned that there were 10 people in the company at that time. And now you are 30. What, what do you see as the main differences? You know, it's, it's not a big difference. We, we really tried to keep the, the feel of the company the same as much as possible. And I think actually what we do is we're, we're always iterating on the company in order to keep the feeling as similar as possible. So we've gone through many iterations of changing tools, changing the way we communicate, changing the way that we work. Um, but I think since we grow slowly, that helps too, because, you know, we might add two or three people a year and that gives everybody a chance to kind of get to know everybody else who's already been there. And then, so when new employees are added, uh, you can take the time to get to know them. Um, and then we, uh, we do annual retreats every year, which is really important for us to just spend a week together, um, just kind of getting to know each other. Um, and then we also encourage uh, the people who are local to kind of meet each other recently. Um, it, it's definitely um, 
it's definitely changed. Um, you know, we used to it used to feel like everybody was just working on on the same team, and now we've kind of dub- divided more up into sub teams. So I definitely talk more with the people who, uh, you know, who work on my teams and the t- parts of the company and the product that I work on, and and I'm definitely more isolated from the people that I don't uh, work with uh, on a regular basis. So. Uh, but I think the fact that I know all of those people still makes me feel connected to them. So we've definitely shifted the focus more to uh, to teams rather than uh, kind of the company as one team. But I'd say that the culture and a lot of the the feel uh, is 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 more or less the same. Was it your first remote work experience, or or you already experienced? It, it was my my second actually. Um, although the first one was just a little bit coincidental i'd moved back out to the san francisco bay area um w- without a job and so i was talking to friends and applying to jobs and i just happened to uh, hear about a job through a friend of a friend uh, that was actually in southern california um, and i was staying there for a while with my uh, my wife's parents before we actually moved back up here and so i started that job and then part of the arrangement was that uh they would allow me to continue working at that job when I moved up to the San Francisco area. And then I would fly down there once a month or, or something. So I was the only remote employee there. And it was just kind of, um, uh, you know, it wasn't something that they did regularly. And um, I, I really, I found that I really enjoyed working from home. Uh, it really worked for me. I'm kind of an introvert and I, I just liked um I just liked it a lot. But um, one of the big drawbacks was that all the other people were on site there and they were uh, used to just talking to each other across the the office. And so I really felt left out and I missed out on a lot of things. So I really enjoyed the working from home part, but I uh, really didn't feel like it was a good fit as far as uh, feeling like a like an equal member of the of the company. I see this as quite common common problem in the companies which already have an office somewhere and they start to hire people remotely. So there is an office where the core of the company is based and and it's more difficult for people working remotely to somehow integrate. And you mentioned that the, there was a small office in, in Italy, a uh, small balsamic office, and then balsamic started to hire more people remotely and and you say that people actually don't go to that office or in 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 italy what was the uh how, how it all happened i mean was it like on purpose that the company decided that no everyone has to be on the same level so we are not going to have an office in in one location or it was just natural that people stopped going to the office because, well, we are a remote company. Why we should go to the office? Yeah, I think it was more like that. Um, from the beginning, um, you know, once uh, once Peldi started hiring a, a few people, especially some in the U.S., um, he wanted it to be uh, a remote first. So everybody should behave as if they are working remotely, even if they're in the same office. Um, but for some um, certain projects, like a lot of our uh, 
most of our our developers, our programmers are are in the vicinity of our office in in Bologna, Italy, and sometimes that can be useful for say a few people who are who are working on the same feature or the same part of the product to be uh, able to talk to each other. So we didn't want to uh, prevent people from being able to, uh, you know, sit together and, and talk. Um, the same with um, some of our marketing and uh, admin people. Um, sometimes it's useful to have face-to-face interaction. So I think the office is there to allow that if needed, but anything that pertains to uh, the company or people uh, as part of the larger team, all of that communication, uh, we expect to be done using um, using the communication tools that, that everybody uses. So the office is there for convenience. Um, but I think uh, an interesting turning point happened when uh, our CEO, even though he lives only a few blocks from the office, um, decided to stop coming into the office. So that was really a, kind of a, a signal that, um, you know, we are really primarily remote uh, first. Um, and so, you know, the office is there, uh, but you know, you're not, nobody is really expected, uh, or, or certainly not required to be there. It's just a, it's, it's a meeting space. It's a place to, uh, have some social events if we want. Um, but, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just something that's, that's available, uh, for those who, who, who want it. When you hire new people, do you somehow prefer, or do you hire only people who have previous experience working remotely or or this is not uh, this is not a requirement and if you hire people who don't have any previous experience working remotely like how do you how do you onboard them how do you explain them that uh, you are a remote company the processes are and the communication is a bit different from from a regular company which has office or more offices somewhere uh, how do you how do you explain it to you, to the to the new employees? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, so whenever we uh, post a job listing, um, we create uh, like a, basically a form that uh, applicants have to fill out, uh, and so it'll ask about their qualifications and things like that. But we always include a a, a question about um, remote work experience, and also if they have any experience working in a in a flat company like ours. Um, it's not strictly a requirement, but we find that we can learn a lot about somebody by the way that they uh, answer those questions. So most people have had some experience uh, working remotely. Uh, oftentimes it's maybe they were a, a freelancer for a year or something like that, or they worked for a company that allowed people to work from home um, you know, one or two days a week. Um, and so we, we ask about uh, if they've learned any strategies for working from home. So it, it, in a way, it's it's useful if somebody has had only some experience with it because they, they've kind of seen some of the challenges with it. If, if there's people who have worked from uh, home full time and worked for a company like ours, that's definitely a plus. We know that it's going to be easier for them to to integrate into the, into the company. Um, but if not, um, you know, yeah, like I said, that's definitely not a, a strict requirement. We have, um, this kind of ongoing handbook, uh, that we've been building that require, that explains a lot about our policies and things like that. But we often, I think maybe probably always have, um, uh, have a, have a partner that somebody is, um, uh, is partnered with that when they, 
they begin kind of a, a, a mentee or a mentor or something, um, a, a buddy, we call it, who kind of uh, is always is available um, to answer a lot of those kinds of questions, you know, maybe even more so than um, about the, the specific job that they'll be doing. But um, it, it's, it's kind of strange in the beginning, especially when you, uh, it might be months before you meet anybody that you work with. Um, some people, they come on board in a city that where we already have some people and they get to meet some of the people. But some of the people, they might go six months before even meeting any of their colleagues face to face. So there's definitely an, an adjustment period. And, um, and I think we factor that into when we onboard people is we don't really expect them to be so productive right away because it is often a big adjustment um, to working remotely and just the, the, our culture. Um, so we're, we're very patient with people, but we also uh, definitely try to have somebody who, whose job it is to kind of hold that person's hand when, as they're getting uh, adjusted. Talking about the, the productivity, I see as uh, one of the biggest challenges of remote work, like I'm talking from my own experience in Office as we are a distributed team, but also talking with uh, many other people who, who have distributed companies or work in distributed teams, uh, is the communication, especially when people are in different time zones. So from my from what I understood, Balsamic uh, has employees in uh, in Europe and in US. And how do you um, how do you challenge this this problem? Like you want to have your work life balance and and uh, not working at night. And how do you how do you synchronize with your colleagues? Like what do you what tools do you use or for project management or for communication? And and how do you do you see it as a problem like time zones or or you completely mastered it in in balsamic? Well, we we haven't completely mastered it. I'll, I'll say that for sure. Um, but we we are um, we have gotten more deliberate about where we hire people um, uh, with respect to time zones. So generally, we uh, we want people to be in the same uh, time zone as the people that they work most often with. So it's not as, uh, as if we just hire people, hire, you know, some people say we hire the best people wherever they, wherever they are, but um, you know, it's, it's less, it's not as important for us that some, we hire somebody who's the absolute best uh, as uh, we find somebody who's going to fit into the company. So that means a good, um, you know, ability to uh, work independently, but also, um, you know, located in a, in a time zone that's compatible with the people that they work most often with. So uh, our entire um, uh, development team uh, for the product is located in, in Europe. So they're all in the same time zone. Um, and then um, we have uh, support teams in Europe and in the U.S. so that they're able to work, um, you know, their normal hours, uh, but still, still cover a, a broad range of uh, you know, time zones for for support purposes, um, and so we we don't we don't work crazy hours here. Everybody is expected just to work normal business hours. Um, the one key thing that we do is there is an an hour of overlap uh, at the end of the day in Europe and in the morning in California, where we're all expected to be available. So from eight to nine a.m. Uh, in California, ten 
to 11 a.m. In, in Chicago, where we have a few people. And then, um, you know, that's 5 to 6 p.m. in Europe. So it's very important for all of us to be online at that time. But there's a lot of things where it just has to wait. So if I ask a question to somebody in uh, Europe and it's uh, noon here, I know I don't expect to hear back from them. Um, so we really encourage to use, you know, like do not disturb settings in, in Slack so that uh, and people are not expected to answer things. Um, you know, our CEO is a little different just because he's thinking about the company all the time. So a lot of times he'll check in after dinner. Um, but, you know, that's just because that's uh, he can't help it. Um, but uh, but we definitely encourage people to really only work during normal business hours. Uh, we're not. uh you know, everybody, we work uh, mostly 40 hours a week. So it's, it, we're not expected to, to be working um, crazy hours like a lot of startups out there. So, you know, in almost every case, it can wait until tomorrow. We have a few, uh, you know, uh, special cases for if some uh, server goes down and our customers are not able to access the product or something like that. But almost everything can certainly wait until, until tomorrow. Um, so related to to tools, we use uh, we rely on Slack a lot. Although we actually encourage people to not join rooms that they are uh, not actively participating in. Um, we want to kind of turn down the noise uh, because otherwise you're just glued to uh, to your Slack notifications uh, and you can't really get any real work done. Um, so we, you know, a lot of channels uh, people have muted. A lot there's a lot of channels that I'm not even uh, involved in. I have no idea what's going on in those in those channels. So we're encouraged to only really participate in things that that are relevant to us, so that we can we can focus on the real work that uh, that needs to be done. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to to filter things out, but but we're we're trying to be very deliberate about that. Is it part of the this onboarding handbook where you? It sounds obvious, but do you, do you? This is this is the question. Do you do you explain people how to use Slack? We, we do actually. We have a whole a whole handbook page on Slack, and um, when we uh, soon after we started using it, our our CEO Peldi kind of got really into it and and learned all the different notification settings and he had his he kind of set it up his own slack up in a very in a very I guess, zen way you you could say uh because he's the one who has to be aware of what everything is going everything that's going on so uh but he also really wants to get real work done so he learned the ins and outs of all the different custom settings so that you can see what's going on in rooms without being notified and do not disturb and things like that so he wrote a very detailed handbook page basically how to set up Slack the way he does it, uh, which is as, you know, minimal notifications as, as possible. And so a lot of us uh, follow that um, and then we're able, you know, we customize it based on uh, our own preferences. But uh, but it's still as it's part of the, the culture to really try to turn down the noise as much as possible and only follow things that are, are really uh, applicable to you. What uh, project management tool do you use in Balsamic? Yeah, we went through a period a couple of years ago where we uh, we were using um, uh, HipChat for our um, daily communication, and we found that it was just getting very, very noisy. So we went through this process of trying out different tools. Um, so we, I think we tried out Asana and Basecamp and uh, Facebook for work. We just felt like we needed a better way to manage communication and projects. 
But uh, what's interesting is that the, at the end of that project, I think that we realized that we just need to uh, think more about how we communicate and really change our communication style. It's not so much about the tool. So uh, we switched to Slack because it just had a few more uh, nice custom features that HipChat didn't have at the time. But really, they're very similar tools. And that's where we came up with this idea of just muting or leaving a lot of the channels that you're not in. And then then that left uh, the project management um, tool kind of missing. So our, our CEO just built, he built his own. He created a, a little tool uh, by him, you know, by himself, um, just a very simple project management tool to be able to list the projects you're working on and the people that you're working on them with. Um, and so we've started using that and then uh, iterating on that. Um, so kind of this uh, dog fooding it, uh, if you like. And now we have another developer who's only who only works on internal tools because we have several other tools. So, um, uh, so we're we have our own roll, you know, hand rolled tool that uh, that we like because it's it's customized perfectly to the way that we work, um, rather than having to uh, take on a, a tool that somebody else built and work around the things that don't apply to us. So a lot of times uh, when we can't find something that works for us, we'll just make it <laughs> That's ourselves. Awesome. Do you? Do you find inspiration also uh, among other remote companies or do you follow some other remote companies which like Buffer or Zapier who really share their uh, their insights about remote work and and how to do it basically basically everything at least for me these companies are are the the main source of this type of information because there is no there is no book about remote work. There is no, there are no guidelines how to <laughs> how to manage a distributed team. So uh, it's it's still kind of a kind of a new thing. So even you have been doing it for ten years, right? Uh, as a company, right? I, I feel like we are uh, in some ways kind of an authority on it because we've been doing it for so long, but we're also always learning uh, from other companies. So yes, we definitely follow closely what other companies do and we don't just uh, follow it, it blindly because uh, we, we know that we know what works for us, but we definitely take inspiration from, from other companies and we're really grateful uh, when companies like Buffer and Zapier and other companies, you know, write about these, these things, um, you know, or, or, or Basecamp to, um, so yeah, so some of the things that we do, um, um, I don't remember which company it was that does, um, started this idea of like a Friday fun times. Um, oh yeah, it's, this is from Trello, I think. Uh, and I know that there's, there's some bots in Slack that will randomly pair you with somebody else to have, have a chat. But um, we found that we were kind of missing a little bit of personal connection. So now once a week we have a, a, a standing meeting uh, where people can just get together uh, over Google Hangouts and just talk about whatever. Um, and it started out actually by randomly pairing four people together, but now uh, it still does that. So everybody is every month or so is invited to to that meeting but we also know that it's open to anybody um so so that's something that we do especially the people who feel like they they really need the personal connection who are more outgoing um we have a, a monthly media club so we'll uh assign a a, a movie usually a movie it used to be a, a book but that's often too 
too time consuming. So everybody will watch a movie uh, on their own and then get together uh, over Google Hangouts and, and talk about it. Um, and then, of course, we, you know, we have uh, Slack rooms for various for just kind of a general water cooler one. People who want to talk about sports, people who are interested in uh, in in getting healthy. Um, let's see what there was one other thing I was going to add. I saw I saw on your blog uh, that you practice something called Pecha Kucha presentation. Yeah, we, we found that, you know, as our company is getting bigger, so we have a, a monthly all hands meeting uh, where people are able to just talk about what's going on in the company. You know, like I said, most people don't follow uh, everything that's going on in Slack. So sometimes it's uh, sometimes you're not really aware of, say, what's going on with the support team or, or what new features are coming out. So it's really important for us to meet once a month and kind of do a, a show and tell or share what's going on. But uh, but now that our team is so big, we found that it was getting a little bit there was too much focus on uh, on the company side of things or or the you know what the uh, team, what the company was doing, and not enough on the the people behind it. So, uh, so we decided to add a a Pecha Kucha presentation, which is one of these things where you have what is it? I think twenty slides and twenty seconds each, um, and it rotates among all the employees. So it's something fun to look forward to at the end of the all hands, and uh, usually it's a, related to somebody's personal life so they'll do a little slideshow about their family or things that they're interested in and it's a way to make it a lot more fun than just having you know the kind of these reports on uh, status updates um, so that's that's helped a lot because we found that the all hands meetings were getting a little a little dry whereas in the beginning when we were only 10 people there was a lot more um, they were just kind of a lot more fun and and loose uh, but now we're just trying to get a lot of stuff into a short amount of time. So it's a nice way to to add a little bit of uh, fun to, to those meetings. Another thing I discovered on your blog is that everybody in, in Balsamic has the same workstation design. Is that correct? Uh, that's, that's coming. That's a new idea. So we're actually building a, a new office in Italy, uh, a, a larger one to kind of accommodate the next 10 years of, of Balsamic. And so it's it's kind of been a fresh start for us. Um, and I, I think Peldi took this idea directly from um, Jason Fried of Basecamp. With, and I think they have, they do this. So uh, he decided on kind of a standard workstation setup. And then uh, as we add new employees, all the new employees will get uh, the standard things. A lot of them are from IKEA. They're things that you can get anywhere in the world. And then, as as uh, existing employees need to replace their desk or their chair, it will be replaced with uh, the standard one. And all of it is is optional, but it's a, kind of a nice way to feel connected to people that you're not sitting next to. Is to have the same the same workstation set up. Um, so that's kind of a fun project. So we're we're just in the beginning phases of that, but I think that'll be kind of a fun thing to to do as uh, uh, over the next year or so. You mentioned that you organize a, a company retreat once a year. Uh, what do you usually do during these retreats or how, the, how are they structured? Do you work there? Do you work there on new projects or is it more about uh, meeting each other or you work on small fun projects or you do team building activities? At, we as a Servofist, we organized team retreat. So I, that's my most common questions when I talk with our, our customers. 
and and people who organize retreats like what uh, they actually do during these retreats and the answers are completely different so i'm very curious what what what's your experience and and you have organized many over the over the last year so maybe uh, also the the structure the schedule of the of these retreats has changed uh, yes it definitely has um and that's you know i say they were constantly iterating on our company and that's that's definitely something that uh has changed a lot over the years. In the beginning, it felt like uh, it felt like we needed to get together and 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 work on things together. Work on the types of projects that uh, we weren't that are more difficult to work on uh, when you're remote. But uh, what we learned over time is that um, since we go so long, since many of us go so long without seeing each other, um, and it's really important to build a connection to the people you work with that over the years we've we've done less and less work <laughs> on our retreats they, they've been less and less about uh about work and more about just kind of uh team building and just bonding and making connections uh Peldi likes to say developing inside jokes you know feeling like you have a connection uh with people so i think maybe about three or four years ago we kind of just stopped uh having an expectation that we'd do anything work related. Um, obviously, things like uh, we are we do technical and sales support while we're there, so we give our support team time to you know answer uh, emails and certainly if there's any uh, technical issues that need addressing, any urgent things. But as much as possible, we just try to put our company on hold for for a week, um, and that works pretty well. And um, we've always tried to have everybody in the same place. Um, for our retreat. Um, so not just, uh, not a hotel where everybody can just go back to their rooms and, and, uh, you know, behave as if live as if they're, they're not, you know, just like we, we are at home. So, uh, uh, the first retreat I did, we were in San Francisco and we, uh, did an Airbnb where we rented a whole house. And so we're kind of just living together for a week, you know, we're cooking together, um, you know, we're sharing bathrooms if it's, you know, two bedrooms connected to one bathroom. So it's, uh, it's very intense. Uh, but but it's, you know, it's, it's a week of in, intense uh, closeness, uh, because it has to last for an entire entire year. Um, so that's definitely gotten harder as we've gotten bigger, it's hard to find a house that can fit 30 people. Um, so uh, last year, we were in uh, Florence, and we rented out this whole kind of villa so it was uh, it was kind of like a hotel but it had a lot of common spaces and since we had the entire place to ourselves um that was nice that we were the only people there and then uh two years before that we rented a um a, a very large house in um uh, in france so that was also a place where a way that we can we can live together those are harder to find in um in the U.S., but in Europe, there's a lot of these leftover places that, that are very, very, uh, very, very large and can accommodate uh, this num large number of people. But I think that this that last year was possibly the last year that we feel like we can really do that. Um, and so I think the uh, company-wide retreats will be have a different feel going forward. And I think we're going to shift our focus more to uh, having closer time with your team. So having team retreats where it is five or 10 people and you and you get together for, for a few days um, and really trying to build that um, kind of teaminess within the people that you work most more closely with. And 
um, you know, because we just even last year, it was hard to feel connected to how many we had uh, 25 or so people. It's just hard to make a connection with all of those people in the span of just a, just a few days. So uh, that's, I think, one downside about getting bigger. But uh, on the upside, you know, we've already established a lot of connections with people. And, and I think our connections with the people that we work most closely with um, are, are as strong as they've ever been. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your time. It was it was amazing discussion and uh, hopefully we can connect again in maybe one or two years and I'm I'm looking forward to hear uh, updates about Balsamig and and your story. Oh yeah, we're always we're always changing and I uh, I appreciate the opportunity. We're we're big fans of yours. I love uh, I love following um, your Twitter stream just to find out, uh, get inspiration and find out what other companies are doing. So we definitely rely on that uh, as a resource for us.